This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's nice to be back in church, right? I don't know if maybe you've been missing that or not. I certainly have. And uh, uh, that is our subject this morning, by the way, the church. And in our day and time, you probably have this sense of uh, madness, right, that's going on around us. If you watch the television news or you've been listening to uh, different voices going on around you, uh, you you might feel like the world has really just taken this step to madness. And you wonder, uh, people, what are they thinking? What's going on? What's the role of the church in this? What? What? And, you know, it's easy. We were talking yesterday in the Foundations class you know, you might, if you watch enough TV, you're sure the world is ending. But then you go to the grocery store and everybody seems okay. So you have to kind of keep those things, you know, in perspective. And this morning, I hope to, to bring back some perspective to the things that we're, we're, we're going through today as we, as we look again at the book of Ephesians. Now, every time I get the chance to teach while Tim is away, We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and so it offers an opportunity for us to have some continuity, but at the same time, it's interesting to me how God drops me in the middle of a situation where a book that I've been reading for three or four months suddenly becomes amazingly relevant out of the blue, you know, which that just proves that God's eternally know what's, he knows what's coming, and he's, you know, my just reading becomes his preparation for something that I feel like is really special. Not necessarily my message, but this text is really special for this time. So I would like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Grab your Bible or your favorite device, whatever it is. Get there because we'll cover the whole chapter this morning. And our goal will be to look at the church now. Right, The church for now, we were thinking uh, earlier about how the book of Esther frames uh, her work in that kingdom for such a time as this. And I want to encourage you guys this morning that this just isn't happenstance that you're here now as part of the church. So I just got saved, you know, it just sort of happened and... Here I am just sort of floating along on this river of uncertainty and I just happen to be in church. Nothing just happens if you're God's child, right? Stuff is happening, but you're in the flow of it and God is going to use you and can use you in every situation that you find yourself. So you are here for such a time as this. You're part of the madness. You're here for a reason, right? In other words, you're, you may become the stabilizing influence in the places that you go and in the things that you say. We'll get a little further into that, but I want to encourage you that it's no mystery that you're here. In fact, you're part of 
a revealed mystery. Let's jump in here to Ephesians chapter 3. Sean has prayed for us, so we're ready to go here. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace, gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul starts to talk about this fact of a prayer for them, and then he allows himself to be interrupted by the facts of the matter, which are these. He's a prisoner. So one of the things that will set the will set sort of how we're thinking about this is that this letter is written from a guy who is a prisoner of Rome currently and had been accused of uh, taking a Gentile onto the Temple Mount, which was absolutely forbidden. And so he had been turned over. He had appealed to Caesar. Now, now he's in Rome and he's writing this letter. So this amazing letter that reveals to us the grace of God. If you haven't read the first two chapters carefully of this letter, I suggest you do that this afternoon because that will add some context to my comments this morning. But Paul has just elucidated the reality of the grace of God in our lives. That by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and that God is now working through you by His Spirit. And that you have in chapter 1 this list of incredible spiritual blessings that are as if you are already there. That's how guaranteed your spiritual blessings are. You already own them. You're already stamped. You're sealed. And as we've said before, you're just on layaway. Right? God's going to come back and get you and take you home and you're going to spend eternity with Him. And as such, as the holder of those blessings... You are part of this revealed mystery called the church. He says here that I'm writing this to you as somebody uh, who understands directly from God what this thing, the church is, this joining of Jew and Gentile together into one body. This was God's plan from the beginning. And Paul has been given a stewardship of grace in order to bring this to the Gentile world. And he says, now look, these things have been revealed to me, and they were revealed directly to him from God in Arabia during that time that you can read about in the book of Galatians, right? These things were given to him by God, and he's given this this grace in order to share it. He has great insight, he tells us, into this, this mystery. He calls it a mystery, but it's not mystical. It was a mystery because it was unknown up to this point. And then suddenly Jesus comes, Jesus dies for your sins, and there's this new thing that starts immediately called the church. That was a mystery in previous times, but now it's well known. 
as the plan of God going forward in the fullness of God's time. And we read here how it was the apostles, the prophets, these letters, these are the things now that have brought this mystery to bear. The gifts of the Spirit, the letters, all of that. And this this mystery, what is it specifically? It was radical. That the Gentiles, the Gentiles, right? You were either a Jew or a Gentile. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were in. They had the Messiah, the promises, and all of that. And then suddenly Jesus comes on the scene. And what is the mystery? That everybody is in if they turn to Jesus. Everybody who wants to be saved can. They can be fellow heirs with Christ. They can be part of the same body. It's an amazing message of unity. God is about bringing unity. And so he brings us Gentiles into the church to make us partakers of the promise. And Paul uh, proclaims to us that he is a servant of this grace. He's sort of like the waiter with his, the towel over his arm, you know, coming to your table and says, hey, I've got a great deal for you today. We have salvation through Jesus Christ on the menu, and you can partake if you want. It's a great message that the church has been given and that Paul had the opportunity to share with us here in the letter. Now, he doesn't think much of himself, even though he's been given this this grace to give out. He he humbly records for us uh, his situation as he thinks about being in prison and everything else. He says in verse 8, To me, who am, am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He still can't believe he's the one who gets to do this, who has the opportunity to share this. I don't know about you, but there are often times that I just marvel at the fact that God chose me. What? Are you serious? Did he really know me before? Well, well, yeah, he did. And he chose me anyway. And then he put me in the ministry, and now he has me up here talking to you. This is still quite bizarre to me that he would use somebody like me to share with you the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul felt the same way. Less than all the saints, you might recall, he stood by holding people's coats while they stoned somebody to death for preaching the gospel. So he really looked at himself and said, this is miraculous that I'm here at all. Verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. This mystery that we are now privy to wasn't known in earlier times. It was, as I said, the Jews and God working through them through that process, and then Jesus comes on the scene, the promise of God. But now it's revealed, and here's why. Verse 10, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom or the many-sided wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was an eternal purpose, not just a temporary one with the Jews, but God's plan is eternal and it's moving forward no matter what. 
And he says, look, here's the intent of that, that he wanted to use the church. This is amazing to me. The intention of it is that he wanted to use the church to teach heaven a lesson about God's manifold wisdom. Now think about that. He's using you and me, and you can read it here very clearly. He says that this would be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places where, I might note earlier, he said, your blessings are residing. Peter tells us that there are things that angels desire to look into. They're looking on this mystery of the church and going, wow, we never saw this coming. Right? So that's Larry's words. That's not in the Bible, in case you were wondering. But these, the, the, have the principalities and powers, and that, by the way, puts Satan on notice that God's plan is going forward. He knows God is unstoppable. It's nothing new to him. God's plan is unstoppable going forward, and the church is the, exp- is the expression of that plan to the heavenlies. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, that is God's purpose going forward. Eternal, unchanging, unstoppable, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. As the church, as a member of the church in Jesus Christ, you have access. You can go to God anytime you want. You can talk to Jesus anytime you want. You move free, freely through the house as an adopted son, not a visitor. You're not a visitor. You live there in the house of God with him as an adopted son or daughter. So we have boldness, access, with confidence through faith. Belief in Jesus and God's plan gives you confidence through faith in that plan. Believing. Not just mental assent, but believing. Therefore, he says in verse 13, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. The tribulation that's going on with Paul right now is the production of this letter to the world. This book we call the Bible, most of it was written from prison. Written in tribulation, and yet we glory in the fact that it's God's word given to us. He says, don't worry about the tribulation. This tribulation is only bringing further glory as God works out his plan. We go on in verse 14 here as he returns now to his prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's the Father of fathers. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. 
right? You sort of, man, you're on the upswing coming out of that chapter, right? You're on the upswing. He says, look, this is why I'm bowing my knee, because the whole family in the Lord Jesus Christ is named in God. And that he wants the church to be granted according to the riches of his glory, to the riches of his glory. In other words, Paul wants the blessing to fall on us based on God's ability to bless, not our ability to bless. Because those riches are way higher than anything you and I could produce. He goes further, he says, He would grant you, according to those riches, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. He wants you to be strong internally, not externally, right? He wants you to have strength of faith, strength of uh, you know, uh, of ability to go through tribulation, to know that tribulation is kind of common in the church, not something unusual, and that we can walk through it with power. He asks that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, we, we would be rooted and grounded in love. That that would be the, the thing that really grounds us is the love of Christ. Now, I think as he closes that out, he just says, glory to God for this plan, for this amazing plan of the church. And I want you to feel that way this morning. I want you to be thinking when you walk out of here today, glory to God for the plan of the church. Because right? sometimes I think we look at these things and we go, what's going on? What are we facing? What are we seeing? First of all, this thing of the church is not a mystery anymore. And I, I say this because there are a lot of world religions that are like into mysticism, into mystical things. You know, you go over here to this temple in the Hindu religion especially, when you go to the temple, there are things and rituals and stuff that you do and you're hoping that somehow all of that rituals and stuff and things that you do somehow gets you a little closer to being somewhere good, right? And it's all kind of mystical. There are uh, American religions that have temple mysteries that you go and participate in as well. Uh, but that's not what mystery or mystical means here. This passage exists for this reason. God is conveying to us what his eternal plan is for the vehicle that will represent his work in Jesus Christ for man's salvation. What is that vehicle? The church, period. It's not this religion over here, that religion over here, this temple worship here, this kind of thing over here. It's the church of Jesus Christ going forward. That is God's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. And you and I are part of it. Now, it's, we need to be clear about what this is because there were former times, Hebrews 1 tells us, where God spoke through prophets and God did works. And we saw that kind of happen through, um, through the Old Testament, God doing things. But he says there in Hebrews, hey, babies cry, right? The little church I started first teaching in didn't have Sunday school, right? So I learned how to deal with that every Sunday. You get used to it after a while, right? Kids scream, it's not a big deal. So stay focused, okay? So in Hebrews chapter 1, we learn, hey, there is... This, uh, there was this plan in the past, 
But that plan kept moving forward. And then in these last days, what does Hebrews 1 say? Jesus Christ is the one who is now pushing the agenda forward. That he has sat down or is seated at, we could say it that way, at the right hand of the Father. And when you hear those words, he sat down, that means the work is done. That in these last days, it's Jesus Christ and him alone leading the church, and the church is his vehicle going forward. I don't say that to sound like, some, well, this is some sort of exclusive thing, you know. I didn't make it exclusive. He did. You better know the right way. You better know the way going forward. And this is the way going forward. The church in Jesus Christ. It's funny how people are, they try to divide up people. You know, we see that happening today. There's that funny story. I work in central Nevada and uh, we had a fellow there. There's a fairly strong Mormon population there, even in this little town uh, that the mine is located near. And uh, uh, he these the Mormons are interesting guys, you know. They, 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 they're always trying to tell me I'm not really saved because I'm not a member of the Mormon Church. But the problem with it keeps being that they see a they see a saved person, they see the way I live my life, and they can't deny it. So I'm Brother Palmer, even though I'm not a Mormon. And we were sitting one day, we were in a meeting, you know, and it's, this is a bunch of minors, so it's a rough crowd. Somebody said something off color, and one of the Mormon guys looked at me and he goes. Oh, these Gentiles. And I snickered, and he, you know, he wasn't quite sure why I was snickering, but I was thinking to myself, dude, you're a South Pacific Islander. We called him Kiwi for short, right? You're, a South, you're about as Gentile as you can get, along with me. But calling them Gentiles, you're not Jewish. But the funny thing about it is that we're all in. Trying to divide between Jew and Gentile, is that's ridiculous. Satan loves division. He does. That's one of his key ingredients to making humanity miserable, is getting people divided into groups. Jesus is about diversity and unity. You've heard that, you've heard that around, that saying now. It's kind of, it's sort of been co-opted from the Bible. But Jesus is about unity and diversity. He brings together an oddball group of people. I'm sorry. Just look around, okay? He brings this oddball group together and then he gifts them with different things so that they can serve one another, but it's all in unity, but there's a diversity of things going on. We all have different things to do. There'll be another lesson on that in another chapter in Ephesians sometime in the future, but Satan loves to divide. And I can't let this morning go by without saying something about the key term of division in our day right now, and it's the word racism. And you know, when everybody hears, oh boy, here he goes, this is going to get political. No, it's not. It really isn't. It's not going to be political at all. In fact, some of you are going, oh shoot, I thought we were about to have some real controversy go on here. No, listen. This idea of racism shouldn't even be controversial in the church at all. Let me give you two verses, and these are my reasoning why. Acts 17.26 says this, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. 
we all have a common ancestor. Who is it? Adam and Eve, right? We're all, from, we're all the same. That may be a disappointing to some people. I mean, knowing that you're related to me may be a big disappointment. I'm sorry. But it's true. Not only that, we're related by the church, which takes away any other racial distinction. And look, furthermore, you know, I've actually talked to people who still were struggling with this idea that one race is better than another or they're significantly different and we shouldn't be together or whatever. And I reminded this person gently, I said, look, I got to tell you something that you're not going to like. You know that in heaven, they're going to be from every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? You can see the light going on. It's like, oh God, what have I been thinking all this time? There are no racial distinctions in the church. We have no use for them because we're all one. We're already one. So I feel like, you know, I don't know if enough people are saying that, but I wanted to say that to you today. We have no use for racism in the church. We just don't have any use for it because we're all one. We're all, we're all common. Praise God for that. What a relief, right? What a relief to know the truth. Second thing that Paul uh, wants them to know, and I think for us in this day the same thing would apply, is don't lose heart in tribulation. Look, you know, I'm 61 years old, lived in America a long time. Seen some tribulation come and go, but for the most part, it's been a pretty good ride. So it kind of shakes up, especially those of us who are older, it kind of shakes us up to see the shaking going on. The very foundations of our nation are being shaken in a way. But Paul says, don't lose heart in tribulations. Don't lose heart over what you're seeing around us today. The Bible, the most important book ever written, was written from where? Prison. Most of it from prison. In tribulation, and yet look at the blessing that continues to flow to us from it. Look, the church is God's eternal plan. We touched on this a little bit. And I want to say this to you this morning. Remember, it cannot be stopped. The church cannot be stopped. Not because we're you know, got it all together or something. We don't. But he does. And so the church is going to march forward. Look, Jesus said this about the church in Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not. Shall not. Those are, those are stiff words. When you, you, if you've ever done any legal reading, when you see shall not, it's like, oh yeah, that means shall not. Right? It just sounds important and, and, and stiff and you can't get around it, right? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's this, this, uh, this thinking that sometime in the past the church failed, right? And then Joseph Smith came on the scene and suddenly somehow God was able to get the jumper cables on the church and get it restarted. Nope, it never failed. It never will fail. We, one day we're going to be snatched up off this earth and we're going to heaven. But the church is not going to fail in the meantime. It simply is not. Trial and tribulation while we're still here won't hinder it either. People try to hinder what's going on. I mean, think about it. right now. You can go out. You can go out and you can 
get on the street and yell and scream and spit all over everybody with your COVID-19, that's okay. But boy, you shouldn't be here today. You might get sick. Right? So we, you see that going on, and people are upset about it. There's lawsuits, lawsuits going on right now. And, and, you know, but hey, I just want to stand here in front of you this morning. Even though we lost a lawsuit in the Supreme Court, and some people are going to say, man, our religious liberties are at stake and everything else, I just want to stand before you this morning and remind you that the church cannot be stopped. We may be going through a bumpy road right now, but it can't be stopped. I'm going to explain why further in a minute. But persecution is never going to stop the church. Look at the church in China. You keep reading. So for the last 30 years, you keep reading about how the Communist Party keeps trying to stamp out the church in in China. We're like weeds. Darn thing. Oh, there's another one. It's just like the rain of the Spirit falls somewhere and the weeds of the church pop up. It's awesome. And you can't, you just can't stop God's work because God loves us and He wants to save people from their sins and take them to heaven. It's never going to stop. So don't lose heart in these times. Stay focused. But focused on what? What do we want to be focused on here? Well, Paul as he closes out in that third paragraph of this chapter, he really is saying glory to God. He's having that moment in prison. I don't know if all of a sudden the light was shining all around him or what, but he must have paused this writing for a moment and just thought to himself, glory to God. The Spirit's flowing through him into this letter. He's writing stuff to churches. The Bible's being produced. And that's his exclamation. He says, I bow my knee and glorify God because this thing, the church, showcases His ability. Look at those words, exceedingly abundantly. Those are, that's a couple of great adjectives. Exceedingly abundantly. Well, you just take the word abundant for a minute. You think about abundance, you know, like we go to the grocery store, even in these times, and you look at the fruit and vegetable section, you know, it's just like, wow. It's just abundance. There's food everywhere. We have buildings full of food, right? Abundant. But then when you say exceedingly abundant, I think that's something like Costco, right? Instead of the grocery store? I don't know. Maybe you don't like Costco. Whatever. You get the idea, right? This thing with God, it's exceedingly abundant. That's how God does things. Above all that we could ask or think. Look, God is in control of history, right? Somebody has said that the word history really should be said his story. Because it's God's story that's unfolding. It's this plan through the church that's unfolding. And it's unfolding every day and you and I are a part of it. Now I know this can be hard to think about or to really get your head around in times like COVID-19 or racism or all these other things that are going on. But God is in control, let me assure you, and His church is not failing or foundering, it is going forward. Now listen carefully to what He says here, because this is what I want to leave you with this morning, our last point here. He says that as He prays for them, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you 
being rooted and grounded in love. All right, so this is going forward. Now, we know that the church isn't going to fail. We know God is doing a work, and we know God wants to work in us in this world. What does it look like then going out? What does it look like? Are we, should, should we get signs and go out and stand for our First Amendment or sec, Second Amendment rights? Should we uh, protest uh, uh, what's going on? Should we get out with the other people and protest with them? What, what should we do, right? We're all, it's like about doing. I'm one of those about doing guys, right? Okay, it's time. okay there we go. I got the word. Now let's get up and go do something. Listen, I don't want you to do anything until you've done the first thing. What does he say here that that first thing is? To be rooted and grounded in what? Love, not anger. Hey, look, I've been watching the TV of late and I find myself getting angry. That's really easy to get angry watching the TV. You know, you want to take something and throw it. If I hadn't paid so much for the TV, it would already be wrecked. You want to get out and do something, you, you, but we need to be rooted and grounded in love. This is what Paul's prayer for this thing the church is, that your primary thing going on in your mind is you be rooted and grounded in love. It's like the, we go back to those weeds for a second, um, and you, you reach down and you, you know, you're you going to pick this weed and you pull on it. Oh, oh, that one's in there. So you put a second hand on it, oh, and then it breaks off, and the roots are still in there, right? It's rooted and grounded, and it ain't going away. That's us. But we need to be rooted and grounded in that way, not in our anger or not in our ability to do something, but in what? Love. That's the foundational thing for us is love. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. When we look at those people that are out there destroying businesses and doing everything else, I know we want to get angry about it, but do we love them like God loves them? Are we rooted and grounded in that? Is that the thing that drives me out into the sea of people out there that need to be saved? Is it love? We're to be rooted and grounded in that. He goes on to talk about this. Uh, He says, The width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This love that we're talking about It's this thing that brings fullness to life. And as the church, if we go out into the world, we better take something that they need. And who isn't looking for fullness in life? Think about it. Who isn't looking for that? These people are out there. They're trying to attain something through protesting, through rioting, whatever. What they're looking at is deep in their heart. They want some sense of fullness in their life. You and I already have it. If we're rooted and grounded in love. The thing about God's love is that it rounds you out. It fills you up. And you just, you you wake up in the morning and you, I know I'm loved by God. And I know God is going to take care of me today. It may be a terrible day. This interesting thing happened to me. I I sort of threw this half-hearted prayer up to God the other day. I said, Pastor, you did that? Yeah, it happens. And I I just said, we had had a pretty rough week at work. You know, we work seven days. We work 12-hour shifts. So like by shift four, if you've had a few rough ones, 
you could be, you're starting to drag your tail a little bit, right? And uh, I just asked the Lord on the way to work. I said, Lord, would you, could we have an easier day today? That was a mistake. And I didn't know it at the time, but God had a plan, right? And by the time I got put through the ringer of that day, I was really feeling dragging, right? And, but yet, I looked back at the day and I said, thanks, Lord. You know why I thanked him? Because even though that was one of the hardest days of the week, he had given me wisdom in two or three different circumstances. I'm an electrician by trade. He'd given me wisdom in two or three really difficult circumstances about where to look for the problem. So even though it was a horrible day, he led me through it. And I was able to look at that and go, Lord, you still are in control. You're not doing what Larry Palmer wants, and that's probably a good thing. Right. I woke up that day asking God for something, but yet he was faithful to give me what I needed. That's fullness. That's the love of God that he, you know, he could have just said, oh, Larry, shut up. I don't have time for that today. There's people starving in other parts of the world. I got to deal with that. That's not our God. And that's where this fullness comes from, this fullness of love. Look, today the love of many is what? It's growing cold, isn't it? We talk about love and it's almost a cold word now. You don't really see love happening. You see people trying to get along, but the love, that love is growing cold. It's not warm. It's not godly. For you and I to affect change in the world as it is now, one thing is for sure. We need to personally know the love of God. And it needs to be personal. It needs to be something that we grab onto and, and we live in every day. And then as the church goes forward, what are we proclaiming? The love of God, first and foremost. If I want to go out there and I want to protest what somebody's doing or whatever, I might be called to that, but I better be armed with the love of God. I better be doing it from the perspective of the love of God. If you're going to engage people on Facebook, yeah, I just said it. If you're going to get into it with people on Facebook, you better pull your love filter out and put it over your keyboard. So that when you start typing, love comes out. Because it's too easy. Hey, Facebook is dangerous. I, I have a few friends. And, you know, if I haven't friended you, you know, I'm sorry. Right? But I have a few friends because, man, sometimes I can get in the moment and go. And it's out there before you can stop it. Right? Put your love filter on that keyboard, folks. Because you better be being salt and light in these days because people need the fullness of God's love before anything else. That's what the world is searching for, is fullness. So don't forget why we're here. Don't forget who we are. We're God's vehicle to reach the world. That is what the church is. He's put you here for such a time as this. I look around the room, a lot of young people here. That word came from a young woman in a culture that was getting ready to kill more Jews, right? Another culture hundreds of years ago. Yet for such a time as this, she was placed to save her people, right? You guys, you young people, understand, you're not sitting here by accident. This is not an accident that you were here. None of us 
It's not an accident we're here. This is the clarion call from God to his people to be filled with the fullness of his love and to go out and affect the world for him. We're God's vehicle to proclaim his glorious plan. So don't lose heart. That's the other thing I don't want you to lose. Don't lose heart. It's, these are rough times. Okay. Keep going in the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning. We're needy, God. We're needy because of the things happening around us that want to drag us away. That want to get us involved in a way that we shouldn't be involved. Or want us to get involved without first being prepared to be involved. Lord, your word is clear to us this morning. That we should be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, I thank you for the worship team this morning and their songs that, that you gave them. They're so much focused on your love today. And then your word, Lord, you sandwich us with that so that we're reminded that whatever we're doing out there as your vehicle, Lord, it's to be done in the fullness of love. So for us, God, today we ask that you'd refresh us in that. By your word, first, Lord, you have refreshed us. But then, God, we ask that you would remind us, too, that in the circumstances of this afternoon and this coming week, that, God, you'd remind us of your love and that you would salt our tongues, Lord, with the words that people need to hear that would be preserving, that would be exposing your love to them. Father, I pray for the young people whose faces I've seen smiling this morning and that word from Esther for such a time as this. Their generation, Lord, is wandering away and yet you call them. You lovingly call them. Help them to be that, that picture of love that their generation needs to hear. Lord, we bow and ask for your mercy and grace in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name.